Well, quite, quite a very special music. Uh, very much appreciated that, uh, by all means. It's interesting how God does seem to inspire a certain messages to come together. Uh, although I'm, it was never my intent to make uh, Mr. Bardo feel so old. Uh, well, half my intent. Uh, for those of you younger, last century was actually in the 1900s, so that includes up to 1999. So uh, last century isn't that far back either. You know, certainly it's, it's always a pleasure to uh, be able to fellowship with brethren who are filled with the same hope. We're here for that one purpose, uh, understanding and preparing for the very kingdom of God, uh, which is really the more permanent existence of life that we'll ever have. Uh, I've thought about all the years we've been in the feast, and, you know, you know I, I, Mr. Berto, I don't feel old, uh, but, uh, you know, I started out, I think, when I was 17, uh, ambassador to college, and I had, uh, you know, got to know quite a few of the young men and young women and, of course, through the years, we, we all go a little older, but we start out with that very same hope. Uh, remember when I was baptized, and when you were baptized, you know, what, what did we think when that occurred? You know, besides hoping the minister wouldn't hold us under too long, <laughs> that we couldn't breathe. Uh, it's surprising I've, I've heard a lot <laughs> had those thoughts uh, in, in mind. But, you know, what we started out was fully expecting to live God's way of life for the rest of our lives. That's what we, we anticipated. And we felt we'd be faithful until either death or the resurrection. And I'm still counting on the resurrection, <laughs> by the way. But, uh, you know, being a part of God's kingdom and family for eternity. And I believe we really envisioned uh, what we would be and how we would interact in that kingdom which this very feast pictured. And we started our course with joy. Uh, I remember reading the scriptures before I was baptized, and I've read these or prayed uh, with these words at baptisms, uh, how that even there is joy in heaven uh, uh, in the presence of the angels uh, when God granted us real repentance and forgiveness of sins. And I think all of us wanted to finish our course with these words where God would say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter the joy of the Lord. I believe we all remember those kind of words. And we pictured ourselves in that circumstance I do know we did not start out believing, you know, we're going to fail. I'm baptized, and the minister probably will let me drown. Uh, I, I intend to get disillusioned. Uh, I am going to be sure I will be discouraged. I'm going to uh, try to get to bitter. I'm going to stop obeying God, and I'm going to leave the church. Probably never going to be resurrected, so why try? No, none, none started out that way that I know of. No, we pray and, and uh, uh, certainly anticipate that not any would ever come to that kind of mindset. Yet the reality is, and you, know, you always hate to say this at the feast, but the reality is there are a few today 
who will not be back next year, not because of death or you know being faithful unto death, but because of those kind of thoughts. Uh, why? Well, there can be a number of excuses, uh, and that's what they are, they're excuses. There can be, uh, for example, offenses. Uh, now, none of you were offended uh, in our region when I left out Wisconsin, so uh, I, I uh, uh, apologize for that, but none of you were that offended, I, I don't think. Uh, at least, you know, I, I uh, didn't have any death threats uh, uh, <laughs> yesterday. So that, that was good. That was good. But there are going to be differences in doctrinal ideas. So we, uh, some will go one way and not another. Perhaps disappointment in God or the church. Because surprise, we're human beings. Now, God is not, but we are. Uh, perhaps going back into sin because the world seems to offer more than the church does. Uh, weaknesses, pride, vanity. For some it may be mental, emotional battles. Or feeling unworthy, not able to meet God's expectations. Uh, and, and God can test us on these things. I remember in the Squaw Valley, uh, it had to be when uh, the minister I first worked under, Mr. Dale Hampton, and by the way, I thought he was old. Uh, you know, I started out uh, talking with Mr. Allen, and we were both, I think, 21 or 22 at that time. Uh, I was 21 when I went to Eugene, Oregon, and I thought Mr. Hampton was old. I really, really did. And it turned out he was 31, 32. <laughs> and uh, now, now I feel a little embarrassed about that. But uh, that's, that's perspective. <laughs> uh, the wrong side of the hourglass there at that point. But it's interesting, he, he gave a, a, a sermonette. I remember so well, we were in Squaw Valley, and a, a storm came through. And a lot of brethren were camping out at Donner, uh, Donner Lake area, but uh, strong cold rain, then snow. Uh, that was, the I think, the year I was ordained an elder, and so my first anointings were uh, numerous <laughs> that evening. Uh, but the brethren were so wonderful. Uh, those who were in condominiums or motel rooms invited those who were camping out to, uh, to uh, be there until the uh, rain and the snow subsided. Uh, but some uh, did end up with uh, pretty bad colds or and some a few, maybe pneumonia, because of that experience. But he gave his sermonette, Mr. Hampton did, which I, I'll never forget. Uh, he turned to uh, Job, and my point, it's not quite the sermon's point, but uh, it talks about how we can be tested on uh, certain aspects of life to test our faithfulness, to test whether we'll continue uh, in the faith, whether we'll continue to uh, be here next year as part of God's people with the uh, vision of the future uh, being prepared for the kingdom of God. But Mr. Hampton turned to Job because during the this time of this, this, for that time period, that trial was the terrible weather. I uh, didn't have to cancel the feast, but it, like I said, it was very terrible weather, uh, very difficult for a lot of God's people. So when he gave the sermonette, he uh, posed the question, you know, I, I wonder if, if uh, this similar thing is happening right now. And then he quoted Job chapter 1 and verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, well, from Utah. Uh, no, excuse me. 
from, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered that? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Well, does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you put a hedge about him and his household? But he said, uh, basically, with all those blessings, but verse 11, Stretch out your hand, touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. And so Mr. Hampton uh, had the the uh, comment that uh, what if Satan is you know, around and God says, You know, Satan, have you considered... Uh, my my people here keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. And he says, sure, yeah, as long as everything's going to go right, uh, they'll be fine. But you, you, you know, take away that hedge. Let some bad weather come. Uh, let the trials come, maybe like this year, to uh, Hilton Head. Then see what happens. Uh, then, then see they're, they're going to curse you to your face and because they're, they're only in it uh, because you are blessing them so much. But uh, they don't really know you, and you take away uh, these special privileges and blessings and uh, just see what happens. Well, the brethren uh, clear back then, uh, as far as I know, at least that, for that year, <laughs> remained faithful and dedicated. But it really hit me that, you know, God does test and try us. Uh, he, he does, you know, it would be wonderful if every single individual here uh, regardless of the physical tests and trials, would just be so in tune uh, with God and the kingdom and what God has in mind that not one single individual uh, would be so discouraged or put off or go a different direction that you know we'd be all together uh, wherever God sets His name for the coming year, and not only for the coming year, but into the time of the resurrection and the beginning of the millennial reign of Jesus the Christ. And so the purpose today is, will we be a part of God's future? I believe that's why we're here. We, we don't want to just the here and now. We want to be part of the vision, the future. Again, Mr. Fritz talked about, uh, again, so ably. Uh, you know, gives that colorful uh, introduction at the beginning of the millennial reign of Jesus the Christ. And the uh, sermonette men and, and others who will be speaking uh, a few days from now, tomorrow and, and beyond to the feast, uh, it's going to be very colorful, very picturesque of what God has in mind uh, for eternity. But we ask that question, will we, and not, not will be the one sitting next to you, but will you, uh, will I, be part of God's future? I think we need to begin with the statement that we have to fully believe and accept that God wants us to be part of his family and his kingdom. Now you think, well, that is obvious. But it's interesting through the years that there are individuals who, who are, again, so looking down at themselves in the way that they say, well, nobody likes me. And God doesn't like me. So I'll just sit down and eat worms. Uh, you know, it's terrible. And, and, they, and some of these individuals, they're in such a mindset that you cannot convince them, no, we do love you. Uh, you know, you are special to God. 
And, uh, but they can't see it. But we have to see that. That's very vital. That truly God wants us to be part of the future. Why do you think He called this a commanded assembly? <laughs> because He wants you to be encouraged and strengthened for the future that He has in mind for you. We're, we're going to have a lot of tests and trials. That, that's a given. But God wants us in His kingdom and part of the future. Uh, in a lyric called The Wanderer uh, by some group called U2, whoever that was. Uh, some of you know that. Some of you uh, older hippies. Uh, no, uh, rock groupies. But the lyrics read, I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. <laughs> Think about that. Uh, you know, they want a future, but they really don't want God in it. Well, brethren, not only do we want God in it, that is the kingdom, but we also uh, have to believe and understand God wants us in it. So that is very crucial to uh, begin with that understanding. Now, if God mentioned his desire only once in Scripture, that would be sufficient proof of his will. But he doesn't mention this just uh, once. He mentions this multiple times. In Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, the, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Notice, not willing. It's not His desire. It's not His vision that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he talks about that. You know, eventually it's going to even go beyond the millennium uh, when there will be a new heaven and new earth. And notice verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Now that was what Peter was talking about. That we anticipate that. We look forward to that. Uh, we, we live our lives uh, in an, uh, you know, thinking that we're going to be part of that kingdom and that world. We want to fit in. And God wants us there. He's not willing that we should perish. And we shouldn't uh, have the thought that we're not going to be there. We need to be pretty focused on that. In the book of Matthew chapter 18... Matthew 18 and verse 12. What do you think that Christ is saying here? If, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? Now, of course, that's uh, with the assumption the others are, are okay. But oftentimes you know, that's the way. You know, It's not that the ninety-nine, we, they're, they're fine. But we want that, that last one. And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I'm going through these verses so we understand the mind of God. 
There's not one single individual here that God does not want in His kingdom. Uh, Even our young children, God is anticipating them growing up and also being part of that future and that kingdom. We know from John chapter 3, Let's go through just a few of the scriptures here. In John chapter 3, verse 14, it's a famous scripture. You see this in football games, at least used to, (laughs) in the stands. Uh, But it's it's a true statement. It does reflect what what, uh, God mentions here. uh, verse Verse 14 is the context here. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Uh, Remember uh, that example. Uh, Moses was not a a Satan worshiper, by the way, but it was the plague of the snakes. And uh, when they uh, saw the the sign there, they knew God was going to have mercy and heal them. And uh, so in the same way, uh, the Son of Man was going to be crucified. And if we accepted God's repentance in us and that sacrifice, we'd be forgiven of our sins that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, should not die, should not come to oblivion, but have everlasting life. So we see this is so much of God's mind and will. Uh, Luke chapter 12. In the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse 31. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Talking about the necessities of life. And he says, Do not fear, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, do these scriptures mean something to you? Now, we're, we're talking about the Father's will and Jesus the Christ's will. You know, he, just as you are here, and some of you may uh, you know, be homebound and may have to listen uh, through a live feed someplace else, or maybe here, I don't know. But again, it's, it's the Father's will that you be in His kingdom and family. It's His good pleasure. It's what He really wants. Uh, not, not just, well, I've got to do it. No, He wants us to be there. Uh, we go to Romans. Just let me read one more scripture here. So if uh, you don't believe one scripture, maybe you'll believe the others. <laughs> but I hope you'll believe them all. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we know that all things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And notice how God inspires the Apostle Paul to, to word this. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren, And moreover, whom he predestined, that he also called. Uh, Now, again, we're not talking about predestined to be saved or lost. You know, you are called at a certain time. 
we here are part of those called ahead uh, of the rest of the world. Uh, that's, it's a wonderful privilege to be part of the first fruits. And he said, if he determined that you are part of the first fruits, then he, the Father, calls you. He uh, makes sure you understand the word and the future that he has for you. And those he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, God calls those things that will be as though they were. So when, when God looks down upon us, he's seeing, in, in essence, uh, we're the glorified family of God. Now, have you ever considered that way? <laughs> and he said, if, if, uh, what, if, uh, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So we see in these scriptures, it is not just God's casual will. Uh, you know, we've got to have some first fruits. Eh, might as well be you. <laughs> That's not the way God is looking at things. He, he, he wants you here. And in His mind, you are already glorified. In His mind, it's kind of a done deal. Uh, now, as long as we don't opt out. Uh, that's, that's part of the equation here. I'm talking about from God's mind. You're here for a purpose. God wants you to be here. He's glad you're here. Uh, he wants you to continue until death or the resurrection. But either way, you know, if you're, if you've, if you're uh, dead first, uh, you'll be the first to rise. You'll sleep in Christ. And if you're still alive and go through all the tests and trials, the place of protection, all these kind of events... Uh, you know, you'll also rise in that resurrection and join all of the first fruits at that point. So we do need to then begin to keep our eyes focused on the kingdom. And that's really the second point here. We have to keep our eyes focused. Uh, we have to know why we're here and where we're going. You know, it's, it's fascinating how our children picture the kingdom of God in their minds. Uh, when they sing the uh, song, It Won't Be Long Now, <laughs> that's, that's a great song. And I know many of our children really put themselves into singing that song. And uh, they can visualize that. You know, they, they visualize the lion and the lamb and the little child dwelling together. And they sing about the wolf and the lamb. Although I think I heard a lot of them sing the wolf and the lamb. <laughs> but uh, a wolf is a dog's bark. A wolf is uh, what Isaiah was inspired to uh, write. The thing is, they, I mean, they visualize that. They're excited about that, as we should be excited about the kingdom of God and uh, what God has in mind. Uh, others have had, again, the kingdom of God just imprinted in their thoughts. You know, they, they live for that. Now, we have our human needs and our human circumstances, but as I said, we, we, we have that vision and that idea. Uh, true idea in our thoughts and minds. And if we have that, then we're following the footsteps of some very wonderful men and women of God that God write, writes about. In the book of Hebrews, book of Hebrews chapter 11. Well, isn't that the faith chapter? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> And I found it, find it very fascinating that, you know, as Mr. Herbert Armstrong grew older, as uh, Dr. Meredith has grown older, 
but they, fo- they focus on what is really, truly important uh, to God's people. You know, faith, the trunk of the tree, the work, God's kingdom. You know, those are the things. Uh, not ignoring uh, all the other aspects, which are so important too, but uh, as they come to uh, the end of their lives, you know, they, they realize uh, what is, is actually the most important for God's people. And here in verse 6, uh, we start out with that definition of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, that last part is, is crucial. It's not just believing that God exists, proving God exists, which I hope all of us have done, but also believing He is a rewarder. That he has something good for you. Something glorious in his mind for you in that kingdom. We, we come to verse 8 and we find about Abraham, the father of the faithful. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So he was a pilgrim on this earth. He dwelt in temporary dwellings, as Mr. Sedliacic talked about in, in his sermonette. And by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. But notice verse 10, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're not talking about a, it's a physical city built by human labor and human efforts and human architecture. But he was looking for that which would be the reality of God's kingdom. And so they passed through life. They had tests and trials. They received promises. Uh, they, they faced trials of faith. You know, God promised Abraham and Sarah, you know, to their descendants would be like the, the molten of stars. And neither Abraham nor Sarah could even have children at that point. And uh, God had to perform great miracles for those promises to be fulfilled. And what Abraham, we see here in Hebrews, and uh, Sarah as well, they began to realize that God is so great that he can perform that which is humanly impossible. Humanly impossible. Whether it be to have children of promise or whether to enter a kingdom that uh, has not been conceived or built by human means. And that we may live and die, but God will make us live. Do the impossible. Be part of the kingdom of God. We see in verse 13... It says, these all died in the faith. You mentioned these individuals who've gone before. Not having received the promises in this lifetime, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, but not just assured of them. It says they embraced them and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Uh, Is that what we feel? That yes, we, are, we, we enjoy human life, we appreciate God's blessings, but really we're only here temporarily, but we do have a, an eternal kingdom 
uh, that God has in mind for us. And we, we not just are assured of them, we embrace them. We look forward to them. We think about these, these promises. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. We should, it says the, the, the plain truth of the matter, declaring plainly, we seek God's kingdom. That is our goal in life. That's why we were born. Be part of the very family of the eternal God. Now we find in uh, verse uh, 15, uh, truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. See, if they hadn't embraced the promise of God, they could have gone back. But verse 16, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. He says it's not just the millennium, but into the uh, new heavens and new earth that God has in mind for eternity and uh, beyond what uh, we have looking forward to. But the, the question was, if they really didn't embrace, weren't assured, you can go back. Now, is that what God wants you to do? No. Is it what any of the ministry wants you to do? No. Or any of the brethren want the ministers to go back? No. No, we want to be together, and uh, we don't want to turn back to a, a human, the kind of human existence in this day and age, in this world. So the key is we have to keep our eyes focused. We have to be assured. We have to embrace what God has in mind. Uh, again, they, these individuals all lived to the end of their lives. They all died in faith, the ones that Paul's mentioning here. They all died desiring what God had promised. Uh, although physically weary and difficult parts of life happened to them, they did not grow spiritually weary. They did not depart from God's path or give up. So it doesn't mean it was easy, but you notice they, they kept at it, and they didn't give up, and they died in faith, and God says they will receive the promises. In Second Corinthians 4, we're talking about now the Apostle Paul. Second Corinthians 4, let's go to verse 7. He comments, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, referring to our, our humanness, our bodies, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Uh, you know, that's very important to understand that, you know, we're here by God's power, not our own. And then Paul says this in verse 8, you know, we are hard-pressed on every side. Have any of you felt squeezed, hard-pressed because of certain difficulties and issues of life? Paul said, yes, we are hard-pressed. There are no exemptions. The ministry, he's an apostle. None of us here in this room are apostles. But he was an apostle of God. Was, was he uh, especially blessed uh, never to have trials and tests? No. 
He felt hard-pressed, but he said, not crushed. Not crushed. He said, we are perplexed. There's something we don't know why this happens or that happens. But he says, yes, we're sometimes perplexed, but we're not in despair. Not in despair. Persecuted. Yes, Paul was persecuted, uh, just like most of the other apostles, if not all of them, in one way or another. He says, I'm not forsaken. You know, God has been with me. God's been with all the other apostles and ministers and brethren. Uh, Struck down, but not destroyed. Uh, Paul was stoned at one time. I'm talking about literal stone. You know, I mean rocks. And he was left for dead. And God may have raised him up in that regard. He may have been dead. Again, we don't know for sure. But certainly he was left for dead. He said, uh, not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. So again, showing that uh, he trusted Christ. He believed Christ. And it was all worth this in regard to the kingdom of God. So verse 12, he says, So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore speak. So when we read the scriptures, we're talking about individuals who believe what they wrote. Now, God inspired it. All scripture is inspiration of God. But when we uh, see the scriptures, whether the Apostle Paul uh, or Peter or James or Matthew, Mark, Luke, you know, all these different contributors that God used for scripture and, of course, even the Old Testament, you know, they are speaking from what they utterly believed, knew. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Isn't that encouraging? The proof of the pudding is we know that Jesus was resurrected. Uh, There were over 500 witnesses at one time, plus uh, others. And in the same way, we know that we'll also be raised up. In the same way, we're going to be resurrected and glorified. And uh, we'll all be there together. And we'll present us with you. He goes on to say in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And again, you've got to think about that. We don't lose heart. He was persecuted, uh, physically punished, pummeled. Uh, there were uh, individuals who accused him of being a false apostle. They insulted him. They uh, tried to offend him. And in all of that, he said, we don't lose heart. Why? Because he knew where he stood. I want you to think about that. No matter what may come from the outside, think about that. You don't lose heart. Why? Because you know you're God. You know what the scriptures say. Uh, You have confidence in that. You know that Christ is living in you through the Holy Spirit. And even though uh, we grow old, eventually, at least some of you do, uh, 
Some of us don't. But uh, those of you who do, you're growing a little older, and, and you know that time is temporary. But you know that the living God is within you through that spirit. Not, not a problem. And even if you face death, again, not a problem. Because you know where you're going to be uh, with God when that last trumpet sounds. In the meantime, it'll be like a dreamless sleep. And he goes on to say, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So I hope we all look at, no matter what we're going through, as a light affliction. Now, I know some of you have had terrible afflictions. I mean, I know that. Uh, some of the health problems, some of the financial problems, uh, some of the relationship problems to you. You know, when you're going through it, it doesn't seem light. But think in terms in comparison. <laughs> in comparison with, with God's kingdom and the glory and your reward. It, it's temporarily, you'll get through it, no matter how terrible it seems at the time. But think about what you're going to receive in the kingdom and family of God. Uh, think of that time when no more tears, no more pain. You know, life inherent in yourselves. You're full, uh, you know, isn't, when you look at it that way, isn't it relatively light affliction in comparison with what's going to happen? And so verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. Kind of enigmatic, isn't it? So you look around, I, you know, I can see you, you guys can see me. That means we're temporary. <laughs> we look around at all the beauty of, of uh, the area here, temporary. God says, you know, what I have in mind, you haven't seen yet. Uh, now, some have seen vision, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But in a sense, everything we see, it's just temporary, physical. It'll pass. God has something that is not temporary. And you're going to enjoy life and be productive, be a part of God's family. And God wants you in that future, and we should want to be in that future as well. In Second Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter refers to an event that, that still affected him uh, after many, many years. He still remembered the vision he saw with James and John. Uh, in fact, let's just turn, uh, just keep your, I'll follow Mr. Fritz's example, just keep your finger there in Second Peter chapter 1 and turn back to Matthew 17. And then keep your finger there and turn to, uh, no. I always laugh about that because sometimes, you know, we're flipping scripture and think, well, I'm not an octopus. Uh, I've only got two, two arms here. But in, in Matthew 17, there, there is an event, I said that as we, as we will come back to Peter, that, that still kept him focused on the kingdom of God. In Matthew 17, verse 1, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And what he, what he had promised them is they wouldn't see death until they, they saw the kingdom, at least in vision, but they envisioned. 
And that's what happened. Uh, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. So we're talking about in this vision, you know, they're beginning to see the glorified Jesus the Christ. Not the human, you know, the word become flesh, but the glorified Christ. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. So here we're talking Moses, Elijah. Now, uh, these apostles didn't ever meet Moses and Elijah. They were long dead. But they were there. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Uh, and if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, why would that have come in Peter's mind? Now, if you had a vision and you saw Moses and Elijah and the glorified Christ, would you have connected, make a tabernacle? Now, Peter understood what tabernacles pictured, the kingdom of God. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and then suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You hear him. Listen to what he has to say. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, you know, kind of woke them up there and said, Arise, you know, don't, don't be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So again, it was a vision, as he said, when they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them to tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And so they kept their promise. Now, they waited till after Christ is risen, and then this account uh, was stated here in the Scriptures. So understanding that vision, you know, they, they saw a, a portion of the kingdom of God. It, it was very real to them. Their eyes focused on it. And here, years later, we find in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, uh, it says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be a supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. So that's why in the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, virtually uh, all of you, uh, there might be a few exceptions uh, if you're brand new, but virtually everyone uh, knows the things I'm talking about, uh, what the Scriptures are revealing. But as Peter said, we still have to not be negligent in reminding and encouraging in this truth. He said, verse 13, Yes, I, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. So again, it's, it's, uh, many reminders here of the kingdom. But knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Remember, uh, early on, Christ said, Peter, you know, you're, you're going to die. Remember, uh, he's with the apostles and, and the indication that he was going to be crucified. And uh, Peter, like the, uh, just the incredibly mature Christian he was at that time, well, well Lord, what about, this? what about John? <laughs> He's basically saying, yeah, I've got to go through this. Well, how come he doesn't? 
Of course, none of you ever think like that, do you? Uh, but uh, he did. But at this point, you know, I said years have passed. That vision is still here in his mind. He's saying it's, it's about time when what Christ told me is going to come to pass. And verse 15, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things even after I die. He says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. Again, please be careful to, to read that statement. You know, Peter said, you know, I, Christ told me I was going to, to live this way of life and I was going to die uh, this uh, a death by crucifixion, just like Christ did. And Peter understood and believed what Christ had told him. So it wasn't just a matter that, hey, this is a good, uh, good job. <laughs> no, it's, it's not a career. Uh, it was a calling. Uh, God appointed him to be an apostle. And so he said, you know, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables. You know, we're not teaching you myth. We're, we're not trying to, you know, get inside your head and just kind of gets you emotionally stirred up to support this, this new group. No, he didn't say that. No, uh, we, what we, we did is we did not follow cunningly devised fables, which, which we made known to you. But again, uh, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Well, when did that happen? At the transfiguration. You know, he saw eyewitnesses of his majesty. He also saw Christ after his death and resurrection. So Peter said, listen, uh, I'm not telling you old wives' tales here at all. These are not, again, myths. These are not just uh, fiction that I'm saying here. But I've seen these things with my own eyes, in vision and, of course, uh, in reality. See, and then he goes on. We write witness of his majesty in verse 17. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It says you, you take heed. You, know, you do well to take heed. Because th these are, are, again, truths. And they are eternal truths. You can stake your lives on it. That's why we're here, partly for the reason why we're at the Feast of Tabernacles, to review those truths. And again, so you renew this commitment. And you understand you're here because everything that we're saying here is going to come to pass. Period. That's the way it is. Uh, Peter staked his life on it. Gave his life for it. And he will be in the resurrection as well. The last part of what I want to give uh, this morning is, you know, how are we going to to stay? You know, would, would there be keys? And I, I say, yes, there is. And one of the uh, most important is to remain on the foundation that God has given you. Uh, this, this is crucial. Uh, you know, I thought about this. I know I've talked to other ministers about this. 
And it all comes back to something that we had learned clear when, if, if we've been in the church any number of years, uh, what we heard uh, from Mr. Herbert Armstrong. And I suspect that if, if he had heard, may have heard from others well, before him, I don't know. But do you remember some phrases? Uh, stick to the trunk of the tree. Stay on the foundation. You know, keep the big picture. And I know suddenly we think, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let's get on to more important things. Uh, you know, let's talk about, you know, uh, what makes clean meats clean and unclean meats unclean. Uh, you know, that's, that's important. Let's, let's talk about uh, uh, pagan symbols. And, you know, let's get to the really gritty stuff. Uh, whereas Mr. Armstrong, you know, stick to the trunk. It's not that these things are not interesting and good to know, but do those things keep you in vision of the kingdom? you got to think about that. So, so please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we don't do those things. What I'm saying is, uh, what I'm trying to get across is how can you know that you will be here next year? If you're still alive and don't die in the faith, how can you be sure you're going to have that same vision and dedication to be part of the church of God going forward into the kingdom of God when Christ returns? So we can use the expression, keep to the trunk of the tree, stay on the path, stay attached to the vine, uh, stay on the foundation. Uh, King David, I think it was uh, David, let me see, as uh, Mr. said, I mentioned all the psalms written by King David, some were by Asaph and others, but uh, many were. Uh, but Psalm 11, verse 3, slightly out of context, but the principle here, uh, is very, very vital. Because the question is asked, if the foundations are destroyed, yeah, this is a psalm of David, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, that is a very intriguing question. If, if you're not on the foundation or your foundation is destroyed, what's going to happen? What can you do? Well, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians 3 verse 9. Again, Paul is, is inspired right here, for we are God's fellow workers. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. He, he emphasizes that. You know, and since we are co-workers, that's where the expression comes from. This passage of Scripture, we are co-workers. Uh, we are fellow workers uh, with God. And we are God's field. We are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation... Another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, we're not talking about the Jesus Christ of your imagination. We're talking about the Jesus Christ as revealed in the Word of God, which is far different than the Jesus Christ the world envisions uh, by a long shot. So we're talking about the one that you know the scriptures describe, the one that the church teaches, 
the one who is the head of the church of God. Uh, our foundation is that Jesus Christ, our teacher, our Lord and master, our high priest, our soon coming king. And no other foundation uh, can be laid than that which is laid. That's our foundation. Uh, not philosophies of men, uh, not human ideas and, and uh, speculations, but this is the solid foundation on which we stand. A foundation is the underlying base on which the whole building is built. That's what a foundation is. And so what is our foundation? Well, Jesus Christ. What did Christ teach? Uh, Matthew 4, verse 4. Dr. Merrith mentioned this in the opening night message. Uh, Jesus taught that we should live by every word of God. And remember, the word was God. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. Uh, Christ is that word of God. The Bible is the living word of God in print. And it's from this word that we come to understand the mind of God, uh, the faith, belief, righteousness, our futures, what God expects. It reminds us of God's grace, mercy. You know, everything that is going to uh, be coming uh, into our futures. When Jesus Christ left instructions with the apostles, Matthew 28, verse 18, at least part of his instructions are recorded here. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, you know, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, you go, therefore. You know, you've got a job to do. He says, you make disciples of all the nations. As you know, God the Father has to call, but those calling, you make disciples of, of all the different nations. You're not just limited to Israel or limited to Italy, back there, Rome or whatever. Uh, you know, all nations that God may call, and many of you are from different nations or backgrounds in that way. You baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You teach them, and notice this, verse 20, teach them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, that's why Jesus Christ we call, and rightfully so, the living head of the church of God. Because he is with us from clear back then to right now, 2016. Uh, he's still there. He is still the head. He still says, you do what I commanded you. You live by every word of God. Now, the difficulty that, again, I have seen, I have mentioned this in, in sermons in our local area, uh, what happens if we chip away at that foundation? So I don't want to uh, you know, be negative here, but I just want to be very realistic. Uh, my observation, I have observations of other individuals in ministry, that when people uh, leave or fail or fall, oftentimes it's because they have either left or chipped away at the foundation. They haven't necessarily left the entire foundation, but they chip away. Uh, let me give you some examples. You know, we all believe, or should believe, the Scriptures are God's Word. You know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. They're God-breathed. 
Well, what happens when the thought comes to mind, well, well, not all. Not all scriptures are God-breathed. And after all, it was human, fallible men whom God used to write the scriptures. So, that being, you know, that's the mindset. So, we can reject those that we think are not in agreement with what we now know through psychology, uh, through science, through sociology and some of the intelligent theologians, uh, you know, who uh, know Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Uh, now we know more. And so we can uh, say, well, most of it may be God-inspired. But we got to reject uh, this one over here and that one over there. Well, you're now chipping away at the foundation, aren't you? And you begin to open your mind to uh, other things that Christ never taught. You've got to be careful. Uh, what about the government of God? You know, uh, many of us saw problems from having certain unfaithful people <laughs> trying to govern the church. Uh, but is our mind thought, well, if that happened, then we can no longer, can no longer believe part of God's Word. Now, what about Ephesians chapter 4? But that, that's the mindset. I, I mean, I've heard that uh, directly. Not, not even just hearsay. I mean, I've heard it personally. Uh, well, we, we just cannot follow. Uh, you know, uh, uh, one man rule or whatever, they, however you might have expressed that. Uh, we've got to kind of do this ourselves. We can't trust that anymore. Oh, so we, we just chipped away at Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, verse 11. He himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Also, we just had to throw it away. We can no longer trust the living Christ to a point. See, you've just chipped away at the foundation. Because what you're doing is you're not looking at God. You're looking at humankind. There, there are ways we deal with difficulties. But you have to look at, you know, God's the one who appointed uh, and God inspired some to have particular offices. And, uh, you, know, you, 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 you know, and God talks about, you know, respect that because that's God's doing. Now, again, we, we know what to do uh, when, when there is, is heresy and so forth. But uh, we know that in the church of God, that uh, God has provided very faithful ministers. So I hope you appreciate, uh, you know, the ministers you have, the Bardos and others who are serving very faithfully. Uh, Mr. Fritz and others, uh, again, the ministers here, elders, deacons, deaconesses are serving very faithfully. Uh, they're here because they're here for the right reason. Uh, you know, God's allowed them to be in those offices, and their whole intent is to edify to build up spiritually, to make sure we're all on the same foundation. So uh, we, 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 that's part of the foundation. Uh, what about God's law? Some chip away about that. You see, we live in a more tolerant, well, for sure, <laughs> within a tolerant world. Uh, another word is called corrupt world. And they say we, we are in a more understanding world. So we should allow for differences in lifestyle, in morality, and so forth. After all, who are we to judge or to condemn? 
who are we in the church? Or who is the church to render judgments? Well, the scriptures say, yes, we do have a right to judge according to God's laws. Uh, who are, who uh, Those who try to do away with God's laws or actively oppose scripture. Did not uh, the Apostle Paul have to instruct the Corinthians? You know, uh, put out this man because he is doing something that isn't even common for uh, uh, unconverted Gentiles to do. But the purpose was so that they would learn lessons. He would learn a lesson. And he said, don't fellowship with him. Don't do it. And so the Corinthians obviously followed Paul's instructions. Because that edified the church. Because they were being sucked into this. And because they honored that part of Scripture, what happened? The man repented and came back. Then Paul had to write another letter. <laughs> now accept him back. The results have been achieved. Uh, he's repented. And he's now back in fellowship with God's people. But again, uh, in this tolerant world, we think, oh, well, that is so cruel. If someone is asked to leave because of rebellion and this kind of thing, oh, but, but we need to keep contact. Uh, we have to encourage. Well, they'll never come to repentance. They'll never come into God's kingdom if they don't repent. So who's showing the true love? You know, by following God's instructions or by following this, this uh, misguided idea of, uh, of love that the world has. And of course, how many other things of God's law? People say, well, we, we, we can kill unborn babies because, you know, women suffer if they don't kill their babies or have their babies killed. Now, they're not, they're not going to look at it that way. Uh, in fact, they'd probably uh, throw rocks at me <laughs> if, I, if they, you know, uh, believe that. And they thought, well, well, boy, how cruel. How can that man? He's not a woman. You know, he's never had an unwanted child. How, how would he know? Well, I know God's law. Thou shalt not murder. Uh, there are other things, you know, of a perverse lifestyle and so on that the world will accept and tolerate. But in reality, it's destroying them physically. I mean, literally, destroying them physically, emotionally, and mentally. And so God says, stay on the foundation. Stay on that foundation. Uh, again, doctrine. Uh, you know, if we ever get to the point where we decide, hey, we, we don't need anyone else, uh, just our Bibles and ourselves, that's all we need. We don't need the church to explain scriptures to us. We don't need the church's help. Well, we got a problem. <laughs> Go back to Ephesians 4. And then we're, we're again chipping away at that foundation. And uh, not that we are dictators. We are helpers uh, of your joy. But, but again, what I'm saying is that if you, you keep thinking, I don't need what God says we need, then we're getting off that foundation. And I'm, I'm uh, here. Second, let's go to Second Timothy chapter 2. And the reason I'm saying these is going to be evident here. Uh, and I think you're probably well ahead of me on this one. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 14. Uh, Paul is writing to the evangelist Timothy. He said, uh, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. 
Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightfully rightfully dividing or rightly dividing the word of God. And he says, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Their message will spread like cancer. Uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of that sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection is already past. And it talks about they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those, uh, knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So it shows that there is a solid foundation. God knows who's on that foundation. Uh, God knows who are his. And he's just explaining that there are individuals who depart from their calling. Uh, they leave the foundation. And when they do this, uh, it says their message spreads like cancer. And then finally, even to the, the weird idea that the resurrection is already done and gone. That means you will not be resurrected. Yeah, if that were true, and they overthrow the faith of some. The reason why I'm saying these, these things is that we don't want our faith to be overthrown. We don't want to be deterred from the truth that we've established at the beginning of the sermon, that there is a kingdom of God, that God wants us to be there, intends for us to be there, uh, is showing we, we want to be there, just as God wants us to be there. And then don't, don't stray off the foundation. You know, don't listen to individuals who chip away at the Bible, chip away at what God has revealed to, you know, to the church based on solid Scripture. You stay on that. You, know, you learn to love your God. You love your brethren, brethren as yourselves. Uh, you, know, you respect the ministry as they, they try to serve and to give you good food and give good doctrine and to try to keep you on that path toward the kingdom of God. And then uh, you, know, you, you trust that uh, because God is in it in this matter. You know, Christ uh, talks about the time when people say, well, but Lord, you know, haven't we uh, done wonderful works in your name? Uh, and Christ says, you know, what? Uh, well, I never knew you. Never knew you, those of you who commit iniquity. He's saying there, there's some who will use Christ's name, <laughs> but they aren't doing what Christ said. And uh, God says, uh, you, you seem to know me, but you really don't, and I really don't know you, because you're not doing what I'm saying. In Matthew 7, we'll wind up here. I think we're about done. In Matthew 7, And verse 24. Yeah, well, let's go to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, again, don't let that discourage you because you aren't in this category, I trust. The ones he's talking about is that he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So it's not just a matter of saying, Lord, Lord, but if you're doing the will of God uh, through his Spirit, 
faithful to his word on the foundation that Christ established, that's, that's who will be there. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Done many wonders in your name? Now, whether they did or didn't, I don't know. But they claim that. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And therefore, now there's a conclusion to this matter. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Again, the rock is Jesus Christ, isn't it? And the rain descended. The floods came. The winds blew and beat on the house. It did not fall. It was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Then the rain will descend, the floods will come, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. So Christ was showing uh, you know, the issue here, that we can't just do as uh, sometimes in the, in the world Christians do. I say Christians, nominally Christians. I hope you don't are, are not offended like that. I always uh, think in terms of the world's Christianity, like movies. It says, based on a true event. <laughs> and what it is, they have one name that is actually a true name. <laughs> Everything else is fiction. Well, that's kind of like false Christianity. You know, the, 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 yes, there is a true individual Jesus the Christ. But everything else they teach about it is pure fiction. Uh, we can't do that. You know, again, we've got to know our God, uh, stay on the foundation that He established, because that's, uh, that's going to take us through uh, all sorts of trials and tests, and we'll stand, we'll keep focused on the kingdom, our eyes on the kingdom, and we will be in the kingdom and family of God. It's by God's power that we stay on this foundation. Uh, No questions. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. If we wrap up now. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It is God. So we don't rely on ourselves. I don't care how long you've been in the church or how short of a time you've been in the church. Uh, that time doesn't matter in that way. It is God who uh, keeps you on track, on the foundation, who works in you, even helps you have the right desire and then accomplish his good purpose. Uh, we always remember Malachi uh, 3.16 where it talks about uh, you know uh, those who, who talk together. And uh, it's always been encouraging. And I think for the feast, let's, let's encourage each other. Let's continue to talk about the coming world that God promises us as we'll hear and continue to hear throughout the feast. You know, uh, we, we don't need to be talking about uh, things which uh, take us away from the kingdom of God. There is so much. And I, I really wasn't kidding. We had enough meat and material that very first day that we could have spent the whole rest of the feast discussing about the kingdom of God and, and what God wants us to be and how God wants us to be.
So, brethren, again, we want you to be here next year. We used to sing a song. Uh, I remember this has been years ago. Uh, Blessed be the tie. I think we, uh, Dr. Mary still had that back in the hymnal. Uh, but uh, he always is moved by that because he realized that, you know, uh, God's kingdom ties us together. God's spirit ties us together. And uh, he, he wanted us to be, you know, very, very cognizant of that as we left. But the question is, will we be a part of God's future? That's what I've been talking about. And the answer is yes. Will we be a part? Yes. If it is our desire to be there. Because it is already God's desire. So, brethren, want what God wants for you. But we've got to keep focused on the kingdom. Why we're here, why we're born. And, and again, lastly, let's remain on a solid foundation. Let's not get off on little twiggy points or jealousies or striving after offices or positions or these kind of things. Uh, remain on the foundation. You know, use God's Spirit. You know, as it's been said, I don't know how many times so far this feast, you know, study the Word of God, uh, keep close to God through prayer, uh, be close to Christ, uh, be close to God the Father, uh, pray one for another, encourage one another, strengthen one another, just stay solid. Uh, I, I just hate to say this, but yes, the winds are going to blow. You know, the, the house is going to be beat upon. There's going to be problems, trials, because that's the nature that's going to happen through tribulation and to the kingdom of God. But uh, you'll stand solid. You'll stand strong. You'll be there. Just do what God says to do. And pray for one another. Uh, pray for God's work to be succeeding. Uh, like I said, uh, and we'll, we'll uh, be there at that point. At the sound of the last trump, Christ returns. The millennium begins. And then our future, uh, again, goes from there into eternity. Again, you uh, be sure you're there. Uh, I want to be there next year. You be there. And eventually, of course, more importantly, be in God's kingdom.